Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness Podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg, and this is The Coaches Show. It's been a couple of weeks since we last posted one of these. I just want to apologize for that. I had some uh, computer problems that prevented me from getting this most recent one up. Uh, but I think it's going to be worth the wait because our guest today is the head coach of the Oakland Grizzlies, Greg Campy. Coach Campy has been a collegiate coach for now over 40 years, so he's been around the game forever. He's one of the most recognizable mid-major coaches in all of college basketball, um, and, and he has some things to say. I, I think I alluded to this at the end of the last podcast, that this is going to be one where you really get some honest opinions uh, from Campy, particularly about uh, transfers, the transfer portal, and the state of the game today as far as that goes. Um, I I know on the site, on Twitter, wherever, we like to voice our opinions on these matters, as as well we should, um, and they very often run counter to what Campy is going to be saying in here. Um, but I think it is important that we hear his voice because he is, as I mean, he's a really big part of this game, and uh, if he has these thoughts, surely he is not the only coach. Uh, so I think it's important that we hear from him and just try to keep that in mind um, as this conversation goes on. So with that, here is our conversation with Oakland coach Greg Campy. So, I mean, to start off real generally, and you've been at Oakland now 36 years, uh, how how have you stuck around so long, and what's your energy level like heading into next season? I, I mean, I wouldn't do it if I didn't you know, still have the same level of energy and enthusiasm and love for the game. And as you know, the game is changing drastically, the makeup of of the game, not just the X's and O's and on the court, but off the court and all the things that go into um, what the game is today. Uh, you know, the transfer portal has just completely changed everything, The you know, the the, the commission this past winter that uh, worked so hard on the game and so as the game changes and moves I think we as coaches have to change and move with it and so that's always very rewarding and it makes every year something new and you know I I love the game I I mean I've been involved in it for 42 years if you count my four years of playing so that'd be 46 years that I've uh, you know been part of college basketball, so I, I don't I don't know what else I would do. So yeah, I I think I got another ten or twelve or fifteen more years. Okay, I mean you you mentioned the the transfer portal right off the bat. Um, I know it's something that's affected you and your team this season. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on the state of transfers in the game and their rise, especially over the last few years. Well, it's it's just grown over the last couple of years, and now with the portal, um, it's just opened the, the 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 dam. I mean, the floodgates, or however, whatever the cliche is, it's and it's not going to change. It's it's. I think it teaches the wrong message. I'm probably in the minority on that. I think you know the the last five to ten years, everything in college athletics and the NCAA is about student welfare and and as it should be but i think we have a false sense of of what we're teaching the kids today and 
And I, I really believe that, you know, social media and Twitter and all that is people behind uh, a keyboard that remain anonymous can go and say what they want to say, and it affects what other, you know, what people think, and it affects, you know, general thinking in kids these days. You know, how many Twitter followers they have, how many Snapchat this, and how many Instagrams that, and, um, you know, and everybody's saying, Re- go for your dreams and reach your dreams and do this, and and there's just nothing in the real world that's like that. I mean, what, I, I just don't, you know, we're supposed to be an education uh, first, where, you know, it's amateur athletics and and we're here to teach because 18 to 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds have a lot to learn. And I don't know where in the real world is there do what you want to do and do what's best for you. It's surely not when you have a family and you're married. It's surely not when you have children. It's surely not in your office. It's surely not where you're going to make money. Um, it's surely not in day-to-day life. There's nothing in day-to-day life where everything's about you individually. I mean, life's a team sport, and what we try and teach is, you know, to be part of a team. So when a kid up and leaves, especially a good player, leaves a team that's dependent on him, why are, you know, why is that applauded? Why is that good? Because in real life, it's not applauded. And I think we're supposed to be teaching what real life's about. We're supposed to be preparing young men for the real world. Since only a couple percentage of of the players that play NCAA Division One basketball make money playing basketball. The other 98% are, are trying to be taught to, you know, how to survive in the real world. And sounds like I'm preaching, but uh, that's just how I feel. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And I think, you know, transfers have been a part of the game in some way for a long time. And even outside of athletics, people – transfer schools if they think there's a better situation for them. I'm just wondering what you think uh, the difference is between, say, transfers 10, 15 minutes, but 10, 15 years ago and now in which transfers should be maybe discouraged and how you go about doing that. Well, the whole uh, the spectrum is flipped. 10, 15 years ago, we were being told by the NCA, in fact, this APR that is in today, that is the standard of college basketball or football or any college sports, is the APR. It was only put in to detour transfers, to keep you as a university from running kids off. Well, you know, because if they're not good enough, you don't want them or you get rid of them. And the transfer market for many years was okay, I can't play here, so I'm going to go somewhere else where I can play. I had a son that went to the University of Cincinnati to play baseball. He didn't do his homework well. He got there, and the center fielder at Cincinnati ended up starting in center field for the Chicago Cubs. So he made a bad decision to go to a school that had a really good player. So his transfer would be because of that not because, oh, I want something better. Today, the transfers are, and it starts in high school, 
the kids rampantly change high schools. It starts in the AU where I get mad at this AU coach. So the next week I'm going and playing for this team, and the following week I'm going to play for that team. It's become a culture where commitment and transferring, commitment doesn't exist and transferring is the norm. And it wasn't like that 10, 12 years ago. And the proof of that is the APR. I mean, they're going to have to do something with APR now because it's not working. It it was put in to keep schools from transferring, our kids from transferring schools. But I'll give you an example. I have a kid on my team who's a graduate transfer this year. He He averaged 17 points a game for us last year. And uh, coming back for his fifth year, we redshirted him a year because he was playing behind two NBA players in his early years here. He played behind Kate Felder, and he played behind Kendrick Nunn. So we redshirted him so that he would have – he had a little injury problem. We, he could have played through the year, but we redshirted him and gave him two years of eligibility. Well, he gets the first year, and he has a great year for us. Not even all week. But he had a good year, 17 a game. So he's come. we're coming back next year with a team completely back and a team that could win, not only be a good team, but maybe could win games in the NCAA tournament. And he decides to take a grad transfer because it's best for him. But what about the other 11 kids on that team who he played all those minutes, he became an important part of that team, and they all have dreams too of going to the NCAA tournament. They all have the same dreams he does. But because he's just going to drop these kids and move on to the next place, that ruins it for the other 10, 11 kids. Now, you, now most people look at me and criticize me for saying that and say, well, as a coach, you know, you, you can leave too. No, well, I've been here 35 years, and I've had lots of chances to leave. And one of the reasons I've never left is because I, the, my players – you know, how do I leave them? How do I how do I go in there and tell them I'm leaving? You know, this is my this is the school I work for. This is the school I sold them to come to. This is who I promoted. I've chose to do that, and I think our players now today are choosing. That doesn't matter. And again, I go back to my point at the beginning of this: Where in real life does that exist? Where in real life? Can you be working on a team and just say, oh, oh screw it, I'm going to go out and I'm going to go into a portal and see who else wants me? You know, I mean, you, it just doesn't exist. So I'm I'm having a hard time with this, as you can tell. Yeah, I mean, I I get what you're saying. Um, in the situation that you mentioned with um, with this player on your team, and you know, I I, I get what you're saying about the other. 11 players that you have and what about them? Um, but if a transfer, and I, I don't know the inner workings of your program and I'm not trying to get into that by any means, but if a transfer is going to ultimately be what gets him, say, to the next level, doesn't he owe it to himself to see what his options are? The two guys that he played behind played in the NBA. How can he not get to the next level? If I've had four guys make the NBA in the last 12 years. So you can't tell me that. Look at the Western Conference Finals right now. Seth Curry played at Davidson. The the shooter played at Washington State, which is a power five school, but it's not known for basketball. Um, The McCallum played at Lehigh. Lillard played at Weber State. 
the greatest basketball team of all time in my mind was the Chicago Bulls that won 72 games. Let's let's dissect them. You had Michael Jordan from North Carolina. You had Luke Longley from New Mexico. You had Dennis Rodman from a Division Two. You had Scottie Pittman from a Division Two, and you had Ron Harper from Miami of Ohio. And the first guy off the bench was Tony Kukoc, who played in Europe. Show me where the playing at a higher level meant anything for the greatest team of all time. It, it, it's got nothing to do with who's in the NBA and who's not. The best players are going to be in the NBA. Now, does Kentucky and North Carolina and UCLA have, usually have the best players? Yes. But there's a lot of really good players that came from non-Power 5 schools. So to get to the next level is is a myth that you have to play at a Power 5 school. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't mean to say that he had to go to a Power 5 school in order to make the NBA. But, you know, there are players who feel like, you know, my maybe my role on the team isn't what I expected it to be. Maybe I don't fit as well with the offense that the coach tries to run, et cetera, et cetera. Do you see those as reasonable reasons to transfer? For you to make a decision and go to a school and you're not happy because you're not getting your way, to me, is not a reasonable reason to transfer. For for you to, you know, Frank Kaminsky went to Wisconsin and played three minutes as a freshman and about ten minutes a game as a sophomore and became, what, the MVP his senior year. What happened to working your way through things and trying to learn how to get better and fight through it to just turn and quit means you'll quit on everything in life you will it's because that's what they've been taught oh they started with AAU it didn't work here don't go somewhere else that coach is terrible go here go there now if if you're a kid that's never going to play somewhere then yeah I have no problem with transferring but to be able to go into a transfer portal where you don't have to walk in my office and talk to me all you got to do is go to the compliance officer and put your name in. You can do it online and put your name in and become a free agent, and then anybody can recruit you. That's not, that's not real life. How do, you go, how do you leave without going in and talking to the coach that recruited you? That spent all the money to, to uh, get you to come to school, that developed you, that spent four years developing you. You know, that... that it, it's just hard for me to understand, and I already admitted to you that I'm in the minority. That most, I mean, most people think I'm wrong. Most people think the kid should do what he he should be able to do what he wants to do. And my answer to that is that's not teaching real life because when he's 28, he's not going to be able to do what he wants to do. He's going to have to do what he was trained to do, and if he doesn't do it well, he's going to lose his job. And that's not what we're teaching, kid. Everybody wants to look at the five, you know, the, the, the exceptions, the guys that are going to play in the NBA. And even that, I mean, there's a lot of great, great players that aren't playing in the NBA because they couldn't make it. I mean, you're right. And I, I know you you said that you're in the, in the minority in this, but I do think you hit on something that's kind of important, maybe a problem with, the transfer portal itself and that you can just enter your name in there without speaking to your coach first. I, I think the portal um, probably, I would guess, set up um, for good reason. Um, well, it's an overreaction. The there. Right. 
the, how, the portal how would you is change a, the process? The portal is a complete overreaction because there are coaches that wouldn't give releases. You know, I'm not going to release you. I mean, we read all the stories the last seven or eight years. There's a kid will go in, he's leaving. It's okay, he's leaving, but I'm not going to release you to this team or to that team because I don't want to play against you or something like that. And so that became a, a big topic with Jay Billis and Gary Parrish and Jeff Goodman and, you know, the the talking heads, Dick Vitales of the world, the talking heads of college basketball would then rip the coach for not releasing him. And so what what the overreaction to this all was is, well, let's take it out of the coach's hands now. Let The coach shouldn't have a say in this. If the kid's going to leave, the coach shouldn't be able to say, no, you can't. Or, no, you can't. You can, but you can't go there. So the overreaction was, let's create this portal where all the kid has to do is go put it in, and then he becomes a free agent. But what's happening is, kids are, I have players on my team being recruited during the season. They're being recruited during the season. I had three kids this year that would become eligible as grad transfers, and they would play good games and go home and get phone calls. And people telling them, you're too good for Oakland. You should be playing here. You had 32 tonight, man. We'll get you here next year. It's turned into just an unbelievable mess. And now you as a coach, you kind of have to evolve with this now. I mean, like it or not, you've been a head coach, you know, through Division Two, through uh, early stages of Division One. You changed conferences, gone to the NCAA tournament. You wouldn't be around still unless you were able to adapt to the game around you. So what have you done over the last few years to kind of change your approach, if anything? Well, the, the truth of the matter is it hadn't hit us until now. This is the first year that, that it's hit us. I've had some great players who could have left and didn't. Travis Bader could have – the all-time leader in the history of college basketball in three-point shooting until uh, McGee broke his record this year going into his senior year, was recruited by everybody in the country because he had a, he was a grad transfer. And he decided to stay. And I've had two or three other kids that could have, and they've decided to stay. So this is the first time it's hit me. And then we lost our point guard out of nowhere. Nobody had recruited him but us. He had a great freshman year for us, and now he's gone. And what what is happening with the portal is that it's allowing illegal recruiting to take place. And there's really nothing that I can do about it at Oakland or anybody can do it about it at their place. Now, we've lost a kid, Kay Felder, early to the NBA draft. We've had that happen. So this this graduate transfer thing is, you know, people have to really take a good look at it. Maybe I won't ever redshirt a kid again. You know, maybe I won't. I'm going to lose him anyway, so why not get four years out of him? There's things I think... Every coach, especially at the mid-major level right now, is we're talking in meetings and we're trying to figure out. And, and the Power Five coaches all hate it too, but they do it because they have to. They're, you know, I've got friends that are coaches at Power Five schools that are recruiting my kid, and they call me and we talk, and I bless it because I appreciate that they call me but I also understand that it's the business. And so I would rather have them go to a Play I, place I know that they're going to get treated well than somebody that's calling them behind my back. So 
it's created a whole new world. And as you said, we've got to adapt. I've got a sign. I put up a sign last week on my wall that says adapt or die. And at, at this stage, I don't want to die. I want to keep doing this. So I'm going to have to figure it out, just like a lot of other coaches are going to have to figure it out. Right. And I, I don't even know if you know the answer to this or if you can answer this at this point, but is this going to change the way that you recruit the types of players that you look for? No. Um, it's hard. I, I don't want to change that because recruiting at the mid-major is you can recruit to a system or you can get, just get the best you can get and, or you can recruit the needs. And what I try and do is I try and recruit the needs and the best that I can get. And if I got to change my system, I change my system. And I don't want to, I want to keep recruiting the best players I can get. And I, we're going to, you know, I'm probably not going to register to anybody anymore. And we're just going to do the best we can and try and make it so kids don't want to leave. I mean, that's what we try and do anyways. But the, the bottom line is, is they're going to leave, and and you got to be prepared. You got to have backup plans and and things like that. But I, I'm not going to change how I recruit. No. Now you you mentioned the other talking heads uh, in college basketball, and I was listening to uh, Gary Parrish's podcast this week, and he he was talking about John Beeline taking the Cavaliers' job, and I, I think he brought up a good point, which was that. You know, in the NBA, if you're a head coach, your job is to coach basketball. And if you're a college basketball coach, there are a hundred other things you have to worry about, recruiting boosters, uh, re-recruiting your own kids, that, that sort of thing, making sure people are going to class. Is, is that something that's really changed over the years for you and how much of your job is actually just coaching basketball now? Wow. Compared to 35 years ago, it's a whole different world. I mean, the coaching today, I mean, you have, you just wear so many hats. And, and the, you know, the this student welfare, you know, thing that that has just become the catchphrase, the, bud word, the buzzword, you know, you got that, you got culture now. Everybody's talking about culture and the culture of this program. And I don't even know. I'm not even sure I can spell culture. You know, I, I have no idea what that means. You know, you, you, you have a program, you try and make it a family, you try and teach and, and bring kids together from all different walks of life, and, and you've got to battle it, and, you know, it's like any other family. You're going to have outliers, you're going to have problems, and you fight through it together, and you grow, and you, you hug each other, and you compete against each other, and then you compete as a team, and, and then you graduate, they move on, and you start over. And, and that's that's what I think it should be. Um, there are so many other things involved now. I'm not sure it can be as pure as that, but that's the fight. Yeah. Um, I I do want to actually talk about the team that you do have now, because you do have some exciting pieces coming back, you know, even despite the transfers that I, I know hit you guys hard. What what are you looking forward to the most about your team next year? Well, we get to go to Greece this summer uh, once in every four-year trip. And when when uh, the Northern Kentucky shot, the three-pointer went in at the buzzer to beat us by one, and our season ended, 
there was hope in the locker room. It wasn't as crush. It was crushing, but it wasn't because we knew we were coming back. We knew we weren't losing anybody, and we felt we could. You, we had a very good year for such a rebuild, and we knew that we were going to be maybe the preseason pick to win the league and all that. So now that we've lost, you know, four players to transfer, and we've got, uh, you know, a bunch of new kids coming in. Uh, the summer's going to be really important to us. We'll get to play four games in Greece and find out who, how, who these new kids are and what they can do. And, you know, we have a freshman point guard coming in that we think is a very highly touted recruit that we think at 6'5 has a chance to be something special. And so we'll get a real look at him. And, uh, you know, the, the, the bigs I have never, I mean, the last time I had bigs like this, we were we went we had a fifty and three run in league play. So to have you know bigs that I think are dominant bigs, uh, two of them is really exciting. And you know I'm not going to let you know we lost our backcourt, two kids that played thirty eight minutes a game that we thought were coming back. Uh, we're just going to have to replace them and, and move forward, and, and we'll we'll be fine. You know we we have to believe that and. We've got all summer to get there, and, and, you know, it's no different than an injury. The next man's got to be ready to go, and that's what makes us, when you asked me at the beginning, you know, that's what makes this so exciting. That's what the competitiveness of it is. It's in your blood and your soul, and it never goes away. And uh, that's why, you know, I am so excited about the future. And you, you mentioned the front court that you have returning. Uh, Xavier Hill has made a huge jump uh, from – two years ago to last year. I was wondering what you think he improved on the most and what you're looking forward to. Well, he's he's one of those guys that, you know, we had this great team a couple of years ago and, and we redshirted him and, and the seven-foot uh, the seven foot center, Brad Brechtine, and Cumberland, the guard who's leaving. We redshirted all three of them and all three could have left, only Javen decided to. And we redshirted because they were playing behind kids and, uh, that were, you know, really, really good. And now it's their turn. And, and they had a year to show what they could do. And now they have a year to, they, we were really good at the end of the year. And Xavier and Brad and Cumberland were a big, big part of that. And, uh, you know, now it's their year to, to have a little uh, target on their back and to prove their worth. Yeah, did, did you have to, make an effort to try to keep them around this year? Or did you know that they were going to stay on board? I mean, it's a question you have to ask from anyone who contributes at a high level uh, in a mid-major team. Exactly. And, and what, you know, I thought I was smart. I mean, I thought I had it figured out. I I called all three of them in uh, about a week after the season ended. And, and I knew, I mean, Xavier was getting phone calls during the season. People were calling him. He put 32 on Vegas, maybe, and I know it was Xavier to get 32. He put 30 on Vegas. He he had some big, big games, and everybody started calling him and saying, you know, hey, I know you got another year. If you're going to graduate, we want you here. And and you know, so I knew that that was out there. We're we're fighting it, and so I called all three of them in my office and I said, look, what are you going to do as as grad transfers? Are we coming back? Are we going to ended on on that three-point shot dagger that killed us, or are we going to come back and go to the NSA tournament and have a great, great year? And they all said, no, Coach, we're coming back. I said, okay, let's put a press release out 
and put your name on the press release. I want each one of you to be quoted, thinking that, okay, you're committing now, you know. And again, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, commitment. And So they did. And then a month later, one of them came in and, and made up some story about why he wasn't sure, you know. And he he People got to him, and, you know, they they publicly said they were coming back, and that didn't stop people from continuing to call them and trying to get him not to do it, and they got one of them. You know, he left. Yep, but, you know, as you said a minute ago, next guy up, you got to go with what you have. Who who are the guys that maybe people who aren't Oakland fans maybe haven't heard of or maybe came off the bench last year that you're going to expect to play bigger roles? Well, we had a freshman named Trey Maddox that was a starter at the end of the year. He's a six foot five wing. He's very, very talented. He's got a chance to play, make money playing basketball somewhere. Um, and then we recruited uh, a guard by the name of C.J. Gettlefinger out of Tennessee. He's a six foot five point guard. And then we were lucky enough to sign Kevin Kangu, uh, who. You know, I've never recruited at junior colleges very hard, but we're going to sign two or three. I can't talk about a couple of them because um, we're still up in the air in that. But Kevin, Kevin Kangu played at Vincennes Junior College. They won the national championship this year. And Kevin had 14 points and seven rebounds in the championship game, and he's a six foot four two guard. So I, I would think that if we open tonight, you would see C.J. Gettlefinger uh you know, as our starting point guard as a freshman and Kangu as the two-man, uh, and then Maddox at 6'5", um, at the three, and Xavier at 6'7", and Brad at 6'11", foot at the five. And then off the bench, I think we have a kid named Kamari Newman who had 30 a couple games for us last year. He was an inconsistent shooter, and we're hoping that a year of playing now will uh, bring that consistency to him and where we can count on him every day. And then we have another player named Kenny Pittman, who was a freshman last year that I'm hoping will develop and be able to play for us. This is the trip to Greece is going to be big for those two guys. So that's pre- pretty much where we stand with still a couple scholarships open that we're working on. Got it. And, you know, you, you play in a league that's been so competitive, especially over the last few years. I and mean, you've had some crazy uh, conference tournaments, but one of the teams that's been at the top or near the top the last few years is in Northern Kentucky. Uh, you had John Brandon took the Cincinnati job uh, this offseason, but they're still a pretty new program to Division One. and I'm wondering, as someone who's been around the game for so long, around Division One for so long, what you make of the job that that program has done getting to where it is in your league? Well, they've done a tremendous job, and they they build a facility that's they have a Power Five facility. Uh, it's it's just unbelievable, and uh, they're in a great area in the Greater Cincinnati area. They're, they've got Kentucky in their name, so they can recruit Kentucky. They can recruit Ohio. There's great basketball in Cincinnati in the Columbus area. Um, John did a wonderful job coaching. He's a very good young coach. Um, but he when he got there, there was a kid there named Tra- uh, uh, McDonald. Uh, can't think of his first name right now, but he he was he was the player of the year in our league this year, and he you know he was a tremendous cornerstone to build around, and John used him fantastic and build around him and got some good athletes around him, and they had a hell of a two or three year run. Um, 
you know, McDonald made the shot, a three-point, a center who made a three-point shot to beat us with one second to go when we had a two-point lead that put them into, you know, the ability to go to the in-state tournament. Um, so you, I give uh, John a ton of credit and wish him well, and I think Northern Kentucky's here to stay. They're not going anywhere just because their coach left. It's, uh, they've got some good young players in the program, and, and they've got an unbelievable school and facility to recruit to. So they're real good. Wright State has a veteran coach who's a tremendous coach, and they've got unbelievable facilities and a good school, and they've they've been at the top of the league for a long time, and they're there with us. Um, you know, our three schools the last few years have, you know, been one, two, three. It seems like we've been in the league six years. We've had a top three finish, I think, in five of the six, maybe something like that. And uh, UIC, uh, Steve McLean's a very good basketball coach. He's going to have a veteran team next year. They should be really good. Um, uh, Link Darner at Green Bay has rebuilt them where they're going to be going to move. There's four or five teams next year that are going to be really, really good mid-major teams, and our league's going to be really competitive. Uh, it, it's scary to think how good our league's going to get. Yeah, you, you talked about the facilities um, that Northern Kentucky had, that, you know, it's a good school. The league is very competitive. These are all things that kind of go into uh, building up a program maybe beyond the personnel there at the moment. And, you know, you've been at Oakland 36 years. I, I'm wondering, is there what's in place at the university now that would make you think, you know, by the time you're done coaching, the program is still going to be in good hands? Well, we've got we're a long we're really far behind in facilities and and that's what we're working on. We've got a project right now, a thirteen million dollar project to build a practice facility with new locker room offices and things like that. That has to get done. It's a must that it gets done. Um, and if it does, I hope I get to coach in it a few years, but then we'll be able to move on to the next person one day and they'll have the type of facilities that you need to have to compete in this day and age. I mean, it, it's, it's become a facilities war and, and we're in real trouble in that war. So, but we recognize it and we're, we're hopefully going to do something about it. Uh, you, you know, you have a, you've had a lot to say, but a lot of uh, important topics, uh, the NCAA, is there anything else that you want to add before we go? No, I'm not real good at just coming up with thoughts. It's when you ask me questions, then I'll tell you the yeah. truth. So that's when you get to when you've been around as long as I have, you can tell the truth. Yeah, that's that's fair. Well, thank you for thank you for being honest, and I appreciate it. I like this talk. All right, my pleasure. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Mid Major Madness podcast, and thank you to Greg Campy as well for being so open, so willing to talk about. Uh, the issues surrounding the game today. Just a reminder, if you enjoyed this podcast, if you want to make sure that you know as soon as the next one is posted, make sure you have subscribed. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Uh, just search for Mid-Major Madness and you will find us. If you so choose, it would also be great if you could rate and review us. That will help other people find the podcast as well, and it would just make us feel really good about ourselves. Um, I have not recorded the next edition of the Coaches Show yet, so I don't quite want to reveal who it is. Um, but assuming everything goes according to plan, I do think it'll be a guest that you guys really like. So be sure to check back soon. And until then, I'm Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much, and enjoy the rest of your week.